All right, folks, welcome to episode two of Sports Business Take. I am your host, Paul Hine, and I'm here with my co-host, Zach Creekmore. And we are here to give you the latest sports news today from all around the world. We got MLB news. We got college baseball news. We got soccer, women's soccer news. And we also got golf news. So we are covering a lot of different stuff today. And let's just jump right in because I'm excited to talk about it all. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Uh, do you want to start off with the golf stuff? Yeah, sounds great. Let's do it. All right. So in golf news, Tiger Woods and Roy McIlroy are creating a new indoor golf league. And the Fenway Sports Group, which is I mean, pretty dear to me because I'm from Boston, uh, is buying one of the founding teams. So it's PGA Tour Associated. Um, essentially, it's like a spinoff. It'd be like a, the equivalent of a spinoff series in a movie or a TV show. That's what this is for the PGA. Um, it's kind of their, it's almost like their virtual reality spinoff, which is kind of cool. Um, but do you have any like immediate reaction to seeing this news? What do you think? Definitely. Absolutely. It's, it is awesome to see. I think golf as a sport, we talked about it last week. It's something that's a bit harder to watch and a bit harder to follow just because of not only the two different leagues that just merged recently, but also just because it's a longer game, a bit more tedious, et cetera. So it being in an indoor format, which we learned, and it being having these big names attached to it, like Tiger Woods, like McElroy, like the PGA, and having that associated, and it being hosted in stadiums is going to be really big for the game of golf and really make it a more experience-capable rather than it being like, oh, I'm going to go to a country club and go and watch a golf game or go and right. watch a round of golf. I'm going to go, oh, I'm going to go to this event at this stadium, just like I would go to a, um, and the comparable, I thought, okay, I'm going to go to a motocross event, like in a stadium, has similar, not similar vibe, but like you think similar ideas. And it's I more go specialized. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's specialized. It's something that it's, it's a niche it, sport. And can be, can be labeled as an event and really can be sold. Exactly. Um, it's, it's a whole new way to, to package it in a marketing perspective way. And um, it's only it's in one stadium for now. You said uh, you were saying stadiums, but okay. for now they're just going to be playing um, in front of TV cameras with around two thousand fans in an indoor TV studio in West Palm Beach, Florida, uh, on Monday nights in prime time. And yeah, so like they're definitely going to get it out there. Being like on a Monday night, there's not a whole lot of sports to watch in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously. We're in the middle of the summer, so there's MLB games every night. But really, outside of that, there's not much going on right now in terms of leagues being played. It's a lot of summer leagues or, or like off uh, off season league type of uh, play in most of the other major sports. Um, I know, obviously, soccer. There's like international um, play and stuff and club play, but uh, for the most part, here in America, uh, it'll be a, a new addition to a Monday night that is not crowded in the sports world. So I think people will turn on their TVs, go to the sports channels, be like, Oh, what's on tonight. And it's like, Oh, a golf virtual reality league. That sounds cool. So I'm going to turn that on. Um, And it's not entirely virtual reality. The way it works is basically they, um, they have screens that they're going to, hit the ball into like a, like you would see at a top golf or something like that yeah. for, um, for all of their drives and like the, the fairway shots and stuff like that. And then for the shorter game stuff, 
it's going to change, like it's going to simulate and change the topography of the course, the wind, the, wow. like different conditions. So it's going to be a changing um, course for each hole. It's not going to be the same thing over and over again, which like traditional golf courses, you see the same um, holes being played over and over again because you can't change a golf course in itself all that much without mm. basically ripping it up and, and being a massive undertaking before every event. But this is going to change for every golfer during every event in kind of a way that you would have never seen before in a traditional golf format, which I thought was really cool. Absolutely. And definitely the VR aspect and it being kind of related to top golf and all of that stuff. And that's been really the golf evolution in the last five years of where, how can I play in these winter months of simulation simulators, um, which is really obviously a great thing. It makes the game year round and not just a summer sport, at least here in the Northeast for us. Um, right. So I, I didn't even realize I, I, I imagined it being like a motocross event where they have a course where it's nine hole, it's around and you're watching short bits of play, but it being virtual reality, Monday night TV, all of that makes so much sense. And it's definitely a great strategical move, not only for golf overall, but also for just the sports world. Monday night's getting more out there, more options and kind of getting everyone involved in as many sports as they possibly can be. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm not sure that the, uh, the short game stuff, like the putts and all that will be all virtual reality. Um, no, the way, no, no. I, it makes the way sense the wording changes, that's really cool. Yeah. The way the wording in the article was, um, a little, like I couldn't tell whether it was going to be the short game. There would actually be like a couple of little like putting greens for holes inside of the building itself, or whether it would just be done on the screen. My guess it was, being done on the screen because that's kind of the whole idea of this new format is to have it done uh, in that way. So that's um, what I'm choosing to focus on, but I, I think it's a great idea. And I think in particular, I thought this quote was interesting from, um, so family sports group, as I said, was one of the founding teams. Their owner, Tom Werner had this to say about the league, the participation in that actually exceeded in Top golf simulators he's talking about exceeded traditional green golf last year. And not only that, but there's been a huge increase in young golfers between the ages of 18 to 34 participating. And this is a perfect format for younger viewers, which I couldn't agree with more because if you think about like people our age, I don't know about you, but a lot of my friends have gotten into golfing and like particularly this summer. Oh, so absolutely. This is, this is kind of like around the age where, kids kind of retire from high school athletics or college athletics. And they're like, Oh, well now what do I do? Most retired athletes go to play golf. So um, the fact that there's now a new way to experience that in a way that no other generation has had before and been able to experience before is going to be huge for people our age and a little bit older and a little bit younger to be able to get into golf in a completely different way. And I wonder if it will even kind of create a different type of athlete. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because there are like EA sports leagues, right? For example, like that uh, gaming is a thing now, you know, like competitively. And I wonder if this kind of turns into somewhere along those lines where, you know, traditional golfers, it's kind of harder to get into, but this is another avenue that you can break into that uh, scene as. 
Yeah, absolutely. That would be really cool seeing it go a bit, a bit of an esports route and kind of transition and offer that opportunity. I have a, a friend of mine that I went to high school with who just got a D1 full ride scholarship for esports. So it's really just a growing area and something that is really addressed to our generation and that, that people growing up in, in tech and having those interests playing video games, et cetera, although we've been doing that for generations it's just been, or for years rather, sorry. Um, it's definitely seeing something that we can see grow and, and that'll be really interesting to see flourish and develop. Yeah, for sure. I also, I thought it was kind of interesting that it was kind of like an offshoot of the PGA and that was like a move that came out of the fallout of the merger. And mm -hmm. I know it probably wasn't planned, but I wonder if it was a little bit planned, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> because they, they had probably been trying to insert something like this for a while, but hadn't had the opportunity to do it before, like, cause they didn't have, um, a faction of golfers that was going to be able to kind of go outside of the PGA and outside of live, like outside of the two separate things. But now that they're one entity, they can kind of readjust their rules a little bit and their structures. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting. And I wonder if we could see another sort of spinoff of um, a golf league, like a, like somebody else starts one, you know, like, will Phil Mickelson start his own golf league or Phil Nicholson. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Um, but it probably, probably just tigers because tiger is, let's be honest, maybe one of the most famous athletes of our generation and probably the most famous golfer of all time, maybe outside of like Arnold Palmer, who literally has a drink named after him. <laughs> but I mean, I don't think there would be anyone better than tiger woods to kind of spearhead this movement. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, if Arnold Palmer was, was, young, lively, and ready to take it on, I would say I would love to see Arnold Palmer times Tiger Woods tackle it and see what would happen there. But also, you know, at this moment in time, Tiger Woods, seeing him and his son go and, like, headline this event, I could see that being a really, really cool opportunity. Yeah, he's he's a legend. Like, not just in the U.S., he's a legend in the entire world. You know, he's, he's one of those athletes that kind of transcends um, – just his sport and becomes an international celebrity kind of like the MJs of the world. Um, and that I think is going to help this golf league startup. People are going to tune in and be like, Oh, if tiger is interested and invested in this, maybe I should be too. Absolutely. Well said. Absolutely. Like you think tiger woods, Michael Jackson, I mean, Michael Jordan. Sorry. <laughs> All good. <laughs> Chris Two Arnold, very different Leo people. Messi, Andre Agassi, right? You can name tennis players, etc. Michael Phelps, for an example, too. Yeah, that's a great one. Athletes that have had massive impact not only on their sports but on the sports world in, overall, and, and it's it's huge. Yeah, yeah. Tiger Woods sure. is one of those guys. He has that name. He has that quality. Just like we talked about Messi last week, bringing that amount of money and that amount of funds that people are willing to pay him eight hundred million dollars in the contract or pay him just to come and take a vacation in the country, right? Tiger Woods has that. He has that action, which is really, really important for something like this that's trying to innovate, right? Which is awesome to see and wonderful. Yeah, for sure. I have one more question for you on this, and then I, I think we've probably got already most of our thoughts out about this, but I thought it was kind of interesting to see, like they're going to be based in one place right now. It's just Florida, but – some of the founding teams, there's only two right now, but they're associated with the cities, right? But they're not going right. to play in those home cities. 
So like the Boston team doesn't play in Boston and the other team was based in LA um, and Serena Williams, I believe was a part owner or a majority Mm. owner in that. And they're not going to play in LA. They're going to play in Florida. All the teams are going to play in Florida. So I was wondering, do you think this is going to resonate with home cities becoming fans of their team or not because they're not playing in those home cities? And that's a good question, and I think it's difficult to say because as of we, what we know right now, right, this is meant to be a digital experience. It's not in front of an audience, right? Mostly, yeah. There's only 2,000 people that are going to be uh, live in studio. Okay, so it's, it's mostly a digital audience. So you associating yourself with that city, if you're creating some community action in that city without actually being there, I think you can still create that fan base. Although it's not as easy to say, oh, I'm going to go spend a night out in Boston and go and, and then go and watch the Boston um, McElroy and Tyre Woods League golf right. team. Or I'm going to go out, spend a night out in Boston and then go watch the Celtics, right? Or go watch right. the Bruins, right? right? Or go watch the yeah. Patriots. So it's, it's, a, it's a different type of thing. But I think you could still generate that. I think it would be a lot easier if they were able to establish that here's our home, come and support us, come and be part of it, come and create that atmosphere, right? Because you build that community a lot quicker and a lot easier. But if you're able to create community events in said city, um, LA, Boston, wherever else it may be, you should be able to still build that community, although it may be a bit tougher. Um, One thing I think interesting, especially about it, because it's being all based in one location, it removes the logistical difficulties of travel, hotels, those expenses for teams, which makes it a 100%. lot simpler to be able to launch something like this. A hundred percent, yeah. At this moment in time, I think this is a, let's see what this, how this does. Let's stay in one place. Let's limit expenses. Let's manage this, try to launch it, try to make something big, boom, and see how it does. And if it goes supernova in the next two three years right then we expand make a whole league 32 teams maybe you do a team from each state add a hawaii team because that'd be sick right and you would include all right here's our home cities we have the money to be able to send people to to these cities now and we can support that and really manage and without the logistical difficulties of trying to launch a league like we've watched and i'm going to go to women's soccer which we were talking about earlier or same with women's hockey right these Young leagues that are trying to start, but they don't have the funds to back it, right? So they're not able to go, and so and right, they got to start from somewhere. travels, so they have a issue with money, and they collapse, and then teams fall, and teams go bankrupt. So eliminating that issue with a new founded league in a sport where it doesn't have, where it has some traction, but it's hard to gain traction at times. It's a bit more traditional. Um, can be difficult. And I think they're making the right choice business-wise, because that's what we're talking about here, to making the right choice to move in that direction, which is awesome to see. And yeah, I agree. Intelligent. The reason they, they chose South Florida and West Palm Beach is because most of the golfers, most professional golfers live in South Florida mm. um, while they're not on tour. So that was the reason they chose that as the location. But uh, like, to me, it's just kind of something we're going to have to see is whether fans can get attached as much to right. those teams when they're not in their home cities. And like you were saying, if it starts to take off, maybe they do expand and they put um, a building in each city for one of these VR 
things. And, you know, I think that would be something that personally I would be interested in going to see. Like if there was one in Boston, right? That's what I thought when I originally saw the news. But then, you know, I read a little bit more into it and realized actually what it was. But like, I think a lot of people would be interested in going to see it at least for one time. You know what I mean? And like, depending on how, if the league takes off or not, um, maybe continue to go back. But like, I would totally hop on a train. It's 45 minutes into Boston from my house and go see that, you know, like I think that'd be a really cool experience, even though it is similar. It's not the same thing as a top golf because it's completely changing, but, uh, and it's professional golfers instead of just, you know, your average show. But um, I think that's something people would want to go see. So I wonder if they're going to expand some of the studio wants uh, studio audit. Wow. It's 10 o'clock at night, folks. I can barely speak. Um, studio audience numbers, right? So like they have 2000. I wonder if they'll expand to 5,000, 10,000 eventually. Absolutely. I think if it gets the right traction, the right reaction from fans, the right reaction from, uh, families and people like you and I who are saying, oh, this seems really interesting. Let's go check it out. Like, yeah. You get that traction and it's absolutely in the cards, right? Right. Absolutely yeah. In yeah. All right. Well, I think unless you have any more thoughts on that, we're probably all set. Yes, sir. All right. So let's move on to the next thing. So we're going to talk a little bit about the state of baseball at the moment, both at uh, the MLB level and at the collegiate level. And both very positive things that all positive things that we're going to mention. So the first thing I want to talk about, let's start with MLB and then we'll get to the college stuff. Uh, The MLB attendance is projected to be up six to 8% by the end of the year, which is kind of, I'm, I'm so happy to see this personally as a fan of baseball. That's like my main sport that I follow. Uh, It's really people, in the last few years have said it's a dying game because the games were taking too long and people were getting disinterested. And now with the new rules, have you, by the way, have you like seen what the new rules are? Are you familiar with those? Somewhat, not entirely, but somewhat. I, I, I went to a Baltimore Orioles game this year. I experienced it. I watched it. I saw some of the new rules with this, with the, uh, pitcher's clock and all of that. Yeah, Uh, definitely. And, as we've talked about, and as everyone's talked about in the last two years, it's really speeding up the game. Right. And I, yeah. as, a, as a youth soccer coach, as a youth sports coach, a lot of issues of why aren't sports entertaining, speed of play, right? If it's too slow, somebody doesn't want to go watch it. It's not 100%. 100%. Um, and I think the pitch clock has done a great job at that so far this year. Average game time last year was over three hours, and now the average game time is somewhere around two and a half. Uh, but I think it's uh, between two hours and 20 minutes and two hours and 30 minutes. So right around two and a half hours. So knocking a half an hour of basically dead weight off of a game and turning it into more of an event similar to the runtime of an NBA or an NFL game is really going to give people, uh, people are going to be more patient and want to go to these games now that they're not taking three and a half, four hours. Um, so it makes sense why the attendance is up, but I, I just, I'm so happy to see this and this is why i wanted to talk about it because it's it's the right direction for a sport that desperately needed it um from a public perspective standpoint oh absolutely absolutely and 
seeing a sport be able to change itself and move in that type of direction positively is really something that we want to see in sports throughout the next 20 years because audiences change, people change, interests change. How can we evolve, innovate, and create these new audiences with new fan bases, with new personalities, with new characters? Like Exactly. You're always adapting in the sports world. And I feel like they've done a really good job with that this year, not just with the pitch clock, but they also made the bases bigger, right? So they're now 18 inches instead of 15 and they eliminated the shift. So basically if you don't know what the shift was, or if anybody listening doesn't know, um, because not everyone knows, not everyone is familiar. Um, Basically people, the infielders would shift over to one side of the infield in order to, take away the possibility of a ball getting through if a guy had a tendency to hit the ball to a certain side of the field, right? So if like a left-handed batter was up and he had a tendency to pull the ball, the shortstop would shift over onto the right side of the field and the second baseman would shift out into the outfield grass and they would try to plug the hole. Um, And they've eliminated that this year. No infielder can go on the, uh, on the grass or even on, they have to stay on their side of the bag. Um, so you can still shift over, but you have to be on your side of the bag and it's created a bunch more hits and a bunch more action this year hit a uh, batting average, which is how many times you got to hit out of how many times you're at bat um, right. is up by something like 20 points this year, which is wow. a pretty, which is a pretty big, yeah, uh, big difference. Um, Cause you know, the magic number in baseball is you hit 300, right? You're considered very good. And there's a huge difference between a guy who's hitting 280 and a guy who's hitting 300. So I'll just put like those numbers out there to put it in perspective. But the fact that they did that, there's more action now in less amount of time. They literally are squeezing the most entertaining parts of the game out of it. And they're going to, they're already seeing massive returns. I mean, six to 8% in attendance is pretty good. Absolutely. For the first year. It's been, been, baseball kicks off in what, May or April? April. Right. So it's it's been three months and you're seeing six to 8% growth. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's projected by the end of the year that it's going to be that. Okay. But yeah, but uh, I, I just think this is such a positive direction for the sport. And that's really why I wanted to talk about it. I, I hope this continues to be the case. And I hope um, we see sort of a little bit of a revival of the game. And I think that's, what's going to happen um, is kids are going to want to start watching this more because it's, it's now the most action packed event that it has ever been maybe outside of the playoffs, but that is a whole different animal um, mm. in any sport, not just in baseball. But I also think part of the reason, and this is a good transition, is some of the young players that are coming up are so talented that it like it's just so eye-catching. And right. that's one of the reasons we're going to talk about next. The College World Series was the most watched College World Series ever this year. That's wild. Yeah. That is wild. Uh, did you watch any of it? I can't say that I have, sadly okay. enough, but I definitely, I definitely got media coverage on it, and I definitely heard of it. I definitely saw okay. the game, 
Yeah. Which is something that hasn't happened for me in the past, being a massive soccer guy, being somebody who's right. not really into baseball, right? Which is me being entirely honest. I've probably gone to maybe four or five baseball games in my entire life. And as somebody who grew up in a, in a sports town, sports family, it's not something that I would right, go to a lot. So it's definitely really, yeah. really impressive to do, really impressive to see, which is amazing yeah. to see that amount of growth. Yeah, so they they averaged 1.6 uh, 1.65 million viewers on their games. Sorry, I'm having trouble speaking. You're good. Up 48% from last year's College World Series, which is I mean, you're basically doubling your audience. Wow. And and the finals game uh averaged 2.86 million or the finals the three the three game series. That's how the finals are constructed. <laughs> Average 2.86 million viewers per game, which is up 75% from last year's two game finals. Wow. 75%. That is massive. Like you are talking like in dollars, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars of growth in a year. That's wild. And I like, I almost couldn't believe that when I saw it. And obviously, um, for those of you who follow baseball, LSU won. Um, and I think part of the reason that we saw that 75% increase was because of that LSU team and the star power that existed in the tournament in general. Um, mm. So let me let me put it to you this way, because I, I don't know if you followed it that closely, but the draft, the top two projected guys were both on LSU, Dylan Cruz, who won the Golden Spikes Award, which is basically the best player in the country in college. Okay. And Paul Skeens, who's a pitcher who throws 102 with movement, movement meaning like left to right. So he'll throw yeah. 102 at you. It starts it starts on the outside corner and it'll drift in. To like, or he'll start in the middle of the plate and it'll drift to the inside corner at 102 miles an hour. And that's like that's less than a blink of an eye reaction time. So nasty stuff and probably one of yeah. the best college pitchers that there have been in the last decade, maybe the best college pitcher there's been in the last decade. So there was so much hype around those two guys, but also the number three pick is projected to be Wyatt Langford outfielder from Florida, right? It was Florida versus LSU in the championship. So, and Florida also had Jack Caglione, which he's a two-way guy. He throws 99 on the mound and hit like 330 for batting average this year. So like the amount of talent that is in the game right now that exists in the game right now, it's unparalleled to something that we've seen in the last few years and it's only getting better. And I think that's one of the reasons we're starting to see it grow. And I think, it's great for baseball because now that people are seeing these college world series more, they have more access to it. It's on ESPN every day when the tournament's going on, they're going to be able to follow these kids from the time they start off in college to the time they get to the pros and follow them all the way through the minors. And now that creates an attachment in fans heads to a player. And that's going to make them, want to go watch major league games more. It's going to translate a few years down the road. Oh, absolutely. Having that star power, as we talked about last, last week, as we talked about today a little bit, 
it is so a massive part of growing any game and growing any team. Like, I know me growing up and not being a baseball guy, I've heard names like Aaron Judge. I've heard names like Mike Trout. I've heard names Shohei Otani, right? All these guys who are these big star powers faces of franchises, that is how they get into the hands, into the minds, when that mental space that other teams might not be able to win, right? When they don't have that star power. Exactly. So it's definitely yeah. awesome to see kids coming up from college be able to establish that star power, go through the minors if they have to, right? Play in the MLB and carry that throughout and create a storyline, right? Which is beautiful. Right. Storylines translate into viewership, which translates mm-hmm. into dollars. Like that's that's just how it works. Because as a sports fan, I, I think you probably would agree with me in any sport. The more you feel connected to a player, the more you understand where they came from and how they got there, the more you're going to like them, the more you're going to want to watch and the more stuff you're going to buy, you know? Right. So it, it's, it's a domino effect. It's a complete domino effect from uh, watching these kids work their asses off in college and, perform like they're already in the pros like they have pro talent and get to follow them until they really are pros and then that gets you interested so i, I think we're going to see it translate down the road um, right. I, I don't know if you have anything else to add i know i kind of took up a lot of that well, segment i just want to say i appreciate your passion for it seeing as you're talking about it you're smiling and enjoying it so I hope the viewers at home are enjoying Paul's passion in this and how much how much you you truly love the game and how much you carry that throughout. Just like me talking about soccer last week or how yeah. I'm gonna talk, how we're going to talk about the Women's World Cup today. I know yeah. I, you carry that energy. So I hope that those that are listening really enjoy that and can take that with them and really appreciate passion because that's not something we see in our everyday lives. Yeah. On our phones, hope, et hopefully they'll actually be able to hear me this week because I got a proper mic instead of <laughs> oh man like last week I went back and listened to the audio and I was cutting out like every three minutes and I was like oh my god this is awful so it made me go buy a proper mic and and get a, a good setup actually that's funny I meant to tell you um, I almost posted our last podcast to the wrong podcast account <laughs> I almost posted it I almost posted it to my old podcast account because I had recorded it with the audio on my phone when it was next to my computer. And I realized like, oh, I'm still signed into my old podcast account when we got <laughs> done recording. I was like, oh, what do I do now? And then what I ended up having to do was I went back into our stream that like we're on right now. And it turns out you can download it to your computer. And then this is one of the things actually that I found really cool about doing podcasts is you learn something new, like a new little skill, like every time you do it. So like, for example, last time I learned how to edit audio in, in a computer, right? Like I'd never done that before. Right. Um, not even in iMovie. I used QuickTime player, which is like the built-in audio app that comes with a, uh, like a MacBook, And I edited like some of our audio down in that and was able to post it, onto Spotify right from uh, from there once I download it onto my computer. But yeah. I guess that's just – it goes to show you kind of learn something new every day doing this, and that's one of the reasons I'm actually so excited to do this is you get experience with that stuff too. Like that looks good on our resumes when we know how to do stuff like that. Um, Absolutely. And I can't wait 
eventually we'll get like a YouTube, uh, Instagram and TikTok, and we'll get all that stuff down and we'll be able to have like a body of work where we can say, Oh yeah, I've experienced in this cause I did it for my podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's the beautiful thing. Not only in podcasting, not only, but in any skill you're building. So like for me, for example, right now I'm on a mission trip. I'm on an Appalachian service project. If you haven't heard of it, excellent, excellent work. Highly encouraged going on it. Highly encouraged supporting. If you're interested, feel free to reach out to me, but I've done drywall and mud and plaster and all this stuff, interior and exterior work on this trip for the last five years now. And it really is something where I can see myself developing skills, being able to apply it and generate that. Now I've done drywall in my own home and other things like that. I haven't exclusively done it here, but you're coming here, you're getting experiences and you're building that and anything that you do, just like in podcasting, just like in, um, playing a sport, you gain that experience and you t- be able to take that with your life and put it on a resume, which is a beautiful thing to have. And a beautiful Exactly. Thing. I think honestly, this is one of the smartest ways for us to be able to kind of get some of our um, ideas out there and have kind of something we can show for ourselves without it being like a concrete, like, Oh, I did that internship or, Oh, I worked there, you know, right. um, it, it's something different that not a lot of people do that I, I think is kind of unique and uh, a platform that I get pretty excited about personally. So I, I don't know why I went on that tangent, but uh, we can get back to talking about sports now, but I, I forget how we I think tangents are a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's part of, that's part of podcasting too, is like having some bits or, you know, something um, a little different. And that's kind of what catches people's attention. Like um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, say the name of the podcast because I'm not sure I can do that with copyright stuff. Mm. But one of my favorite podcasts is a Red Sox podcast. And I remember two years ago I was in the car. The fact that I remember from two years ago says <laughs> all you need to know. Right. And they did a segment on like, it's a baseball podcast and they ended up talking about uh, the floating Island of trash in the middle of this <laughs> Pacific and it was like a trash. It was a trash island ep- like episode because one of them didn't know about it, and they did like a thirty minute segment on it, and it was just hilarious. Like I was dying laughing. But oh, that's the it. that's the type of stuff that I mean. Event- eventually, I hope we develop. But you know, obviously, it's our second episode. We have time. But <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that stuff that catches people's eyes. So I want to incorporate some little bits into it too at some point. Absolutely um, agreed. I was sharing with some of my people, some of the people I'm on ASP with, and they're saying, Zach, if you put a bit in there, let me know. I'll watch it. <laughs> so it's exactly, exactly. Work on. I well, similarly watch a podcast. Um, I'm not going to, I won't name drop it, but it's by TIFO. Um, and honestly, the amount of, there is more bits than soccer news in that podcast. And I watch it purely right. for enjoying that. Like I enjoy right. the soccer part too. But I enjoy them arguing about Lord of the Rings for 35 minutes, okay? Right? <laughs> yeah, I can't, no, I can't exactly. <laughs> it's another form of entertainment for sure. And um, we'll cook up we'll cook up some things uh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely um, love it. But do you want to do you want to introduce the Women's Sport Cup thing? Because I know you're really excited to talk about that. Yeah, so. ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so if you don't know, 2023 is the Women's World Cup. It's being hosted in Australia, New Zealand. 32 teams, which is, I don't know, I don't think it's the largest, but it's Women's World Cup started and there was very few teams, so it's really, it's getting up there in size, it's getting more countries to have teams, more international soccer 
soccer teams on the women's side of the game, which is beautiful. Obviously, the women's game has grown massively in the last couple of years, so it's beautiful to see. And this is really, I wouldn't say a climax, but really something that's going to be like, all right, here's really where we push off. This is where the women's game rockets. But a possible hindrance to that, and if you haven't read on it already, um, sorry to share this with you if you're in Europe. In the U.S., we're fine, but the Europe is the home of soccer, right? That's the home of football. What we, what right. we, what Europe, Europeans consider that traditionally. So at, yeah. At the moment, FIFA is yet to sell the rights to the Women's World Cup to the European countries. So think Italy, Spain, France, England, Germany, the Netherlands, etc. Those streaming rights, those broadcasting rights, have not been sold yet. So at this moment in time. And I have to be honest, I think I read this on Thursday, so I'm not entirely positive. The case might, might have changed since. But as, I, as of my understanding, I haven't seen them sold yet. I haven't seen Instagram posts on it. I haven't seen a Twitter tweet or anything like that on it. The Women's World Cup will not be broadcasted in the European countries, which is – Wow. Wow. That's wild to, that's wild to think about you know, because that is the – probably I'm going to say the largest fan base of soccer in the world – uh, oh, like Europe is, is it the birthplace of soccer? I don't even know. That's a debatable it, topic because you, you but could it definitely say feels, America, but England it feels like the home. Let's colonial, call it that. Colonialized the sport, it feels, right? it feels like the home of soccer. We'll, we'll say it like that. Right. So the fact that they won't be able to watch would be a huge deal. And I, I was reading the article you sent to me and it seems like there's a disconnect between what FIFA is asking for and what the countries are willing to pay for it. Um, I, I saw that Italy, for example, is opening for a bid at 300,000 um, pounds. I'm not sure if that's per game or if that's for the rights in that general. That would be for the entire thing, as is to my understanding. 300,000 pounds for the entire thing. Yes. And compared with the 160 million that they paid, 160 million pounds not dollars, right. that they paid for the men's World Cup. Right. And if we're talking pounds and dollars, we're thinking that's probably around 200 million pounds. Um, and 300K right. would be around 500K, right? Right. It's a, it, it's a similar comparison, but it's like $1.5. That's hundreds um, of thousands of dollars compared to millions of dollars. So, like, it's – it shows it's kind tough. of – it's a super – there's such a large disconnect there between what the countries value it at and what FIFA values it at. And um, it seemed to me that maybe the countries don't value it so high because they think it's going to be a loss of money. And I know FIFA has traditionally viewed it that way as well. Correct. But, correct. but I don't know if it will be now because the way the women's game has grown the last few years, I don't think it's going to be like a loss of money like it was in the past, you know, when no. they were just kind of starting out like, 15 20 years ago right and i and the biggest the biggest issue that the article talked about um is that the women's world cup in previous years 2018 etc before that has been a paired bundle so it's been an add-on to the men's world cup buy-in so if you were to buy the men's world cup you're also getting the women's world cup rights so it's like oh we need to get this to someone all right you can have it with this you spent this much money on this. Oh, here you go. Here you go, BBC. Like, thanks for streaming the World Cup. Here's the Women's World Cup. You enjoy. Right? Now, now they have to find a time slot for it, et cetera. So it's been deemed as a 
and I'm not, I don't consider it this at all because I think the women's game is a beautiful thing. It's a quote-unquote hindrance or add-on or something that it's like, oh, you get this too, right? It's right. not considered a individual thing that has not only marketing power but streaming power. It has eyes on it. It has people that want to watch it. It has the ability to bring in that money, that advertisement, et cetera. So right. them trying to change the conception of the women's game and this women's world cup can be difficult. And obviously they're having that struggle. I think part of the problem is companies that would, or countries that would buy these rights are viewing it as compared to the men's game, which mm. has been around a lot longer to get itself established. You almost have to view it as a separate thing where this could be profitable in its own way without being compared to how much profit the other part of the product is making. You know, like obviously they're not going to make as much money as the men's game because they haven't been established for as long as the men's game. So they haven't had a chance to develop as many fans as the men's game has. Right, absolutely. But I think the problem isn't only from the countries there, right? FIFA is evaluating it, although at a slightly lower rate, as something that is similar to the Men's World Cup. And although it is similar, it does have a different draw. It has a different audience. It doesn't have as much of a, okay, we build up to this for four years. It's a, oh, this is the summer. Let's check it out. Let's enjoy it. Right? Yeah. Right? I like. Who That's would have been thing. marking their like other than really diehard women's soccer fans? Who would have been marking their calendar like oh four years twenty twenty three like the next women's world cup? Right? Exactly. It's kind of like a oh you find out about it during the year and that might be interesting to watch type of thing. Exactly. Absolutely. So they, like, I, they don't have as much hype around it is really what I'm trying to no. say. And I I had to recognize the companies that have been helping to build this up because I think Nike did recently did wonderful adverts. Adidas has done a great job. They did unique and special kits for all the countries that they sponsor, which are beautiful. Um, and that's really the first time that I realized, oh my gosh, this is this summer. This is going on. Like this is, I should be excited for this. These jerseys are awesome. I can't wait to see them on field, it, like being performed, somebody lifting and kissing the badge of the shirt. Right. But I didn't get that hype in 2019, four years ago when it's like, no. okay, Whoever just won the Women's World Cup, I honestly don't even know. Um, won the Women's World Cup. I think it was – it might have been the U.S. I don't know if it was the U.S. But, I, think, yeah, I think it was the U.S. I think we're okay, going okay. for three in a row. I think we're okay. going for back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. So when the U.S. won, like, I didn't get that excitement of, okay, four years from now, I'm excited to go watch this again. I'm excited to go check this out. I'm excited to go follow this, see what's going on, right? No, I didn't, I didn't get that. But after the 2018 World Cup, when France went and won it, and I was – supporting france right i was like oh my gosh i can't wait for 2022 it's gonna be sick right france exactly great. right i i had all this build up there's conversations about it for years right that hasn't been part of the women's world cup so but you're starting you... to grow they're starting to get Correct. More hype, i think i think just not there yet. World cup, we're gonna be looking at 2027 which would be four years from now i think the 2027 women's world cup will have that hype will have that yes build, so it will have that growth so I read another interesting thing, which was that by 2027, they were going to try to match um, the pay for the women's with the men's. So the women's world cup prize would be equal to the men's which is in 2027. Right. Um, wow. Uh, actually it says, okay. So it says uh, the women's world cup prize 
pot 110 million for this year's tournament and committed to matching the men's prize pot by the 2027 edition. So if it's 110 million and the men's is 400 million, you know, they got a long way to go in the next four years, but I think they're, they're gaining so much ground at the moment. Um, Like you're seeing even offshoots of women's soccer leagues in America. There's a Mm. new version of the NDA, the NWSL is doing the best it's ever been, right? Right. And then there's also going to be another women's league starting up. You're starting to see it gain traction where it hasn't before, but they just kind of have to give it that chance. You know, they're not. Correct. And if they don't broadcast it in Europe, they're not giving it that chance at all. Well said. Well said. Not at all. Right. And that's the major concern. So hopefully FIFA and these countries can come together and find the equal ground of, okay, FIFA's probably overvaluating, expecting 40 to 100 million for TV revenue, right? Right. For that, that, that broadcasting deal. But these countries are probably undervaluing it. Like, I think as a nation, especially if my country, my women's team is playing in this as the president, and I'm, I'm thinking I'm the president of France, right? The French women's team is going and playing in this. I want, to, I want eyes on this. I want them to be supported. The French president is really involved in the men's team. We saw him go and hug Mbappe after the World Cup final loss, right? He has his eyes on that, his support on that. It should be the same for the women's, right? We want that support. As a political figure, I want that to be seen, to be supported, and to be expressed. So how can I make that happen? Okay, I'm willing to pay nine mil for it. Right. right? I, I'm willing, I'm willing I to go and do that. Right. They have Especially to, they, they have to kind of, they got to compromise, you know, and they have to value it um, for what it really is and not mm. compare it. Uh, I think when you compare it, uh, there's really nothing like the men's world cup in all of sports right now. There's nothing that uh, maybe the Olympics outside of it right. compares to the, that tournament style. Uh, I mean, the world baseball classic is starting to gain ground, but it's nowhere near the world cup. And nothing really is outside of the Olympics. So to compare it to one of the most revenue generating events in all of sports is almost unfair when it's really just starting to hit its stride. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, it's up to the FIFA president now how do you, to, to grasp How do you think they come together? Like, where do you think the compromise is? I'm thinking we're looking at the 10 to 20 million mark. Right. I think that's that's an equal compromise. I think that's pretty fair um, in terms of broadcasting rights, in terms of, okay, now you have the right to go and sell this game and get advertisements in it. Um, If advertisements are already sold, it was a bit more difficult, but I don't, I don't think. Would would that be eight to or 20 per game? No, no. I'm I'm thinking the whole whole picture overall. Right. Okay. I'm thinking whole picture overall, not per game. If we're talking per game, we can divide that by because there's 32 teams. Okay, yeah, and, yeah. Like there's there's yeah. probably 90 to 100 plus games. Right. Yeah. Right. So that that would be taking it from they're lowballing at hundreds of thousands of dollars to coming in at actual millions, and maybe right. it's not the hundred million that FIFA wants. No. But it's enough, you know, where you get to, I don't know, let's say somewhere between 20 and 50, right, and that's a lot more reasonable, but I wonder if they're going to be able to do that. And if like, they can't just not broadcast it in Europe, No, you know, that can't happen because FIFA would lose so much money from yeah. losing that audience in Europe. 
So they're not going to allow that to happen, I don't believe, because that's the lifeblood of probably their viewership, you know. So Absolutely. why would you why would you do that? Why would you be that unreasonable? So they'll probably meet them somewhere in the middle. I just think they're so far off right now that it's going to take a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely going to it's going to take them to go, "Oh shoot. Oh my gosh, this is this this can't happen." Like, uh, okay, it's kind of we let it down to the wire. All right, here you go, here you go Paramount Plus. You you take it. Right? We've had some we've done right. some great stuff with you with Champions League. Uh you have it. Give us whatever you want to give us and, and take care of business for us, please. Right. So it's going to, I think it's going to be something like that, um, which is kind of more business management from FIFA, something that we've seen in the past and don't really want to see again. But um, hopefully it doesn't end up coming that way. And there comes a, a, a form of agreement that can show that growth. Because, of course, part of building that 110 million prize pool or that, 400 million prize pool that they're aiming for in 2027, right, is getting the TV revenue up, right? Getting the right. the streaming deals up, getting the broadcasting deals up. If we can make more money from that, we can give more money to the players, right? We can better support right. their – make more make more of it, make more about it. So it's a big part of it. Um, you mentioned it's, it's earlier – It's an entire cycle. Exactly. It is a cycle and a circle that it has to go through in the next four years to really make this – this thing happen, and I think it will. I think it can. Um, do you have anything else you want to add on the women's world women's world cup in that situation? I don't. I don't think so. I'm. I'm probably pretty good with getting my thoughts out on that. How about you? Same here. I think. I think it'll. It'll be a tragedy if this doesn't work out for women's I agree. World, for, for women's 100%. soccer, so women's sport in general. We're, we'll but leave it at. We're hoping it works out, and and it, they find I believe some it common will. ground. I believe it will. It has to. It has to. It, it, it can't not. They can't. Yeah, they can't not let it work out. Um, all right, so the last thing that we're going to talk about today is Bayern Munich dropping their $100 million Qatar Airways deal. So that's their sponsorship yeah. deal where they have the Qatar Airways on the, the sleeve of the jersey. Correct. Why do you think this happened? Because obviously you're connected more to the soccer world than I am. Was there something Qatar Airways participated in or did that made them drop it? Or was it just um, – I, I would. I read was it was a mutual decision to not renew the contract. So if it was a mutual decision, why do you think it happened? Right, right. So mutual decision in air quotes, right? So built up to the Qatar World Cup, really, really controversial. A lot of human rights issues, a lot of right other issues, mostly human rights, labor laws, etc. That causes Qatar to go into this light of oh, okay, this is a problem. FIFA shouldn't be allowing this. A lot of talk, a lot of issues with Qatari money. Kind of similar if you think about uh, what happened with Russian involvement in sports, uh, especially in the soccer. Olympics. After not only the Olympics, but like FIFA and UEFA, Russia yeah. was eliminated from all. Like Russia didn't yeah, I remember any, that. even though they qualified in the 2022 World Cup. Yeah, um, I remember that. So this is something that we're looking at and going, okay, Qatar from these teams are getting a similar reaction due to human rights issues. So in a similar way that, um, what was the company? The sponsorship, because FIFA and UEFA had a deal with a Russian oil company. They dropped that deal after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So very similar to this, this is Bayern Munich saying, 
we don't agree with the values that were expressed in your support of the build up to this World Cup, nor do we support the values expressed in your business and your country. So we cannot continue to have this this deal. It, it, it genuinely a human rights and um, conflict of interest issue, not only especially because we talked about. German, the Bundesliga last week, it is probably the most fan-involved league in all of the leagues. It has the 50-plus-1 rule where 51% of the club is owned by fans. So this means that fans have a lot of say. They have a lot of pull, right? So a fan going and saying, or a lot of fans going and saying, why do we have Qatar Airways on our sleeves? They're involved in these issues. They're attached to this. Does Bayern Munich want to be attached to this? No. It kind of forces their hand. Like, Exactly. So it forces, not only forces their hand, but it's like, hey, we're part of this too. We don't like this. Can we, can we, can we switch it up? Get something yeah. new? And Bayern yeah. Munich is a club with a big name, a lot of fans, a lot of following, linked to Harry Kane this week. So they're getting more audience. They're signing a South Korean player, um, Lim Min Jai from Napoli, right? So they're going to get a lot of international, right? England. South so you Korea, think this was, this was they're going to get a lot more right? pull. So it's air quotes mutual. Mutual, right? And but it's, but it's saying, not hey, really. if we're going to get more eyes on us, we cannot be attached to anything that's going to put these fans in question of whether they should support and be part of the Bayern Munich family or not. Right, because they don't want to lose money. Do you think they're going to have any problem replacing um, the sponsorship? Because that's worth over a hundred million dollars of like a sponsor. Not um, in a million years. It, they've paid the club more than 109 million over the past five years to display the logo. I don't know you if they will that much money, but they'll definitely have an easy job replacing it and yeah. getting at least at least 50. For if that's if you'll get a that's a big drop though. More, you know that's half. If you're if you're saying 50, that's half. Like right, but we're talking we're talking oil money versus yeah, true. non-oil money. True. It, do you think there are a lot of? I mean. Do you think it'll be easy to replace 109 million or will it be lower? Like could could they get the same level of sponsorship or no? And it's hard to say. I think obviously yes. I'm saying I'm saying gut instinct. Yes. What do you think? Yes. I okay. think I think yes. I think they could get a similar level of sponsorship. It might be a big drop, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see a big drop, because German clubs specifically are not massively it's not all about the money. They don't spend a lot of money, right? They're a bit more um, purse strings. Because, of the, because of the 51 rule? Uh, just I think it's just more because of how the league works and how it's played. Like, yeah. Bundesliga sides, although they a Bundesliga team has not bought a player for 100 mil plus. They've okay. done it in Liga. They've done it in La Liga. They've done it in the Premier League. Hasn't happened. Nope. Has happened in Syria. No, I don't know if it's happened in Syria or not. It depends on the Cristiano Ronaldo deal to Juve, um, but hasn't happened in the Bundesliga. It's a bit more. It's a young league, a lot of energy, right? So the players that are bought are either aging, and they're great players, but they're coming into this league like Sadio Mane last year, who they signed for like thirty-two odd million, or it, it was, I think it might have been thirty-two. It's somewhere in that thirty to sixty million range. I don't remember exactly. But he's aging, end of his career, right? They brought in Leroy, Leroy Sané. This is Bayern Munich specifically from uh, Manchester City a couple of years ago. They spent 40-odd million on him, right? They're, they're not 
the biggest spenders. They the biggest. So it's, not, it's not like a huge revenue generating league, so it's it's harder. Massively to... revenue generating in terms of fan presence because it probably yeah. has the best yeah. fan. Like you think the Bundesliga, you think the Yellow Wall, you think great fan presence. A lot of people involved. A lot of people. Support okay, it. maybe I chose the wrong phrase, but right, right. Uh, but when you're talking and talking player sales, Borussia Dortmund generate some of the most they just don't spend their money that way it gets redistributed in okay okay so more of a spending than a revenue thing obviously that's just the wrong word Correct. um but i think this is kind of like a big deal right like dropping yeah. a dropping a sponsor like that um and somebody that's made you that much money even if it's over five years that's a huge deal because that is not easy to replace million like millions of dollars is not easy to replace and there aren't companies that are um, that big uh, well there are but there's not a ton of them that are out looking for sponsorships um, so they're gonna have they're gonna have to work pretty hard to get uh, a similar level yeah i think i really think they could get an easy an easy 10 to 20 million annual deal for that for that sleeve yeah so especially, yeah. especially so 20 would be around 100k i i mean if you're saying it's going to be less i i would doubt that they would accept like 50 because that would drop um, by half the, the sponsorship money that they're getting Correct. from the sleeve. Maybe you see them settle somewhere around, you know, 15 to 20 mil a year where it's Correct. Um, 75, 80 mil total uh, for, the, five years for the five years. Yeah. Which I think, especially with the way Bayern Munich are going and although they've had an off year, I think, I think it, it's a big name club with the growth of soccer in other in other markets, then them exploding into other markets, exploring other markets. I can see them getting a sponsor from South Korea and that being a really interesting thing. That would be that would be cool, yeah, for sure. Um, is there anything else you kind of have to add on that? I mean, there's not like a whole lot like it's not too it's a little controversial, but it's not, you know, like no, it's just that deep of a topic. It's nice to see clubs speaking out and supporting certain humanitarian acts. I, um, I agree, especially especially when there's a lot of money involved, um, and the Bundesliga. It's a good PR move. That. It's definitely exactly. a good PR exactly. move. The Bundesliga is where you see that because fans are really involved. They're very outspoken, so it being able to to be done, and it's done in a professional business sense, also, so it's respectful of the company and it's not yeah, um, of course, derogatory. Right. It's not like they're just going to say, "Oh, you guys are wrong about this, this, and this," and we're dropping you. No, I'm sure it was it was mutual, but you know, but like we talked about, it it, it was probably presented in a professional way of um, this just has to end. You know? Correct, absolutely, absolutely. Now, Bayern Munich, well-run club, have have had issues this year, but they they are they are doing great things, and they continue to do great things, and so should all the all the clubs in the Bundesliga. So I'm I'm excited to see. Hopefully, they get something similar because they deserve it. Right, I, they're yeah, they're pushing in the market. I think they can have that awesome growth in the next couple of years. And they're I a agree. huge name, huge name in European soccer. For sure. All right. I mean, I don't know if you have anything else, but I I think that's about it. I'm, that's I all we had. To call back to call back okay. to one thing you mentioned. You mentioned the new women's soccer league that's going to be on the same level as the NWSL. I don't know if it's going to be on the same level, but I know they're starting a new one. I know. I know. So, okay. The, the, the USL, which is the United Soccer League, something that is considered the USL Championship is the men's version, 
is slightly beneath the, the MLS, right? The NWSL right now is the top league. Then you have USLW, which is something that I've worked in and interned in right now, um, along with USL2, USL Academy, USL Championship, USL, USL Division One, et cetera, right? But they're launching the USL Super League on the women's side, right, which is going to be an equal competition to the NWSL, is going to have a bunch of um, – a bunch of teams coming into it. They've launched stuff on their website about it. I watched the video. Where are they about getting it. the players? Like, it doesn't seem like. Are they drafting them right out of college, or how do you get an entire league of players like that, not stealing from other leagues? Right, like, which is definitely them? definitely difficult. So, what's unique? The USL has. Um, so, the teams that are joining the USL Super League are teams that already exist in the USLW. Right, so there are okay. teams that are going and saying, "Okay, we're really good at this competition." Right, we want to have the opportunity to step up. So, like the club that I work for, AC Connecticut, had the opportunity to go and say, "We want to have a USL Super League franchise." Right, oh, we chose okay. not so, to do that. We chose to stay with the USLW. Right, but so it's like a men's and women's league thing, similar to like an exactly. NBA, WNBA. That, exactly, that exactly, okay. exactly. So they're they're creating a comparison to the USL Championship. Something that's a bit higher level, while the USLW will become something a bit more similar to USL 1 or USL 2. Or USL, okay. sorry. USL considers it's USL League 1, USL League 2. I want to use the proper, proper terminology um, and respect their, what, they, what they consider it. Um, same with the USLW League, right? So something that's similar in kind of creating that pyramid in women's soccer, something that hasn't existed in the U.S., massively on the women's game it's kind of right. more of an, it's been more of a weirdly shaped thing um so establishing a bit more of that pyramid i don't think it'll it'll have some traction because they're probably getting the top teams with the best fan bases with these communities like i think hartford athletic might be having one in there fact check me on that i'm not sure um and a couple other teams probably one from arizona you could see that um but it'll be really interesting to see the women's game additionally you can see clubs that are not involve the NWSL, but clubs that are involved with the second division of U.S. men's soccer, putting out women's sides. So you're thinking your Phoenix Risings, all these other teams, um, Austin FC, like stuff like that, where they're kind of creating that opportunity. They're going to now have a women's franchise. They're not in the USL. They don't have a women's diversion, but they're going to join this USL Super League, and they're kind of going to create something really cool here. Um, So I'm personally excited for it. I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, yeah, do you think it adds to the growth of women's soccer in the U.S.? Like, it certainly creates new opportunities to gain new fans, which you know obviously gains more interest in the sport. People start playing more, domino effect. Um, do you think this is going to help women's soccer not just in the U.S. but um, across the world going forward? Absolutely, I think it absolutely will. I think, especially in the U.S., but. I think it could have some international reach to that really big soccer fan who wants to be able to watch a game at a random time across the world right. in South America, in Asia, et cetera. Right. Not, to- in totally different time goal. zones. Like there's yeah. nothing on for that's, nothing that's on for them at, let's say like six o'clock their time, but it's on our time, you know? Exactly. Like exactly. Something like us watching the British Premier League. I think you could see something right. like that happen. Might be a bit more niche and harder to get, not harder to get to it should probably be streamed on hulu that's who the usl is really involved with um but hopefully we see some of that growth but i think it as long as they pick cities where there aren't nwsl franchises already 
I think you can see some great growth in different areas that aren't experiencing it at the moment in time. Right. So I we agree. put one in Connecticut. We put one in um one's so going say, into Boston, isn't there? I, I did not I, I thought I heard there was one going into Boston. There's surely one in Boston because I don't think we have an NWSL franchise there. No, I forget whether it's the um the new league or whether it's gonna be an expansion franchise of the NWSL. No matter I, what, there should be one in Boston. We know. Yeah, I heard I heard a couple months ago, like the mayor of Boston, um, Michelle Wu said that oh, we should bring, you know, the NWSL franchise back because apparently we had one, um, but it got shut down several years ago or something. That that's it, it sounds to me. It sounds like they had a franchise in the previous league before the NWSL was founded and established. Okay, um, I forget the name of that league, but it was something that was out there, like we talked about earlier, leagues that have a hard time creating um, revenue, so it collapses. Um, okay. But Boston having an WSL team makes sense to me. I think NWSL is right for Boston because you can get that Boston-New York um, yeah. going, which would be awesome. Um, I think Vermont, Vermont has Vermont Green. If you aren't already following them, Vermont Green, excellently run club, USL. We talked about them last week with their streaming service and all of that. So really well run. I think they could have a really, really, really well done uh, USL Super League team. And that would be interesting because there really there isn't a lot of sports to consume in a place like a Vermont or um, going outside of New England, maybe a place like a Delaware or a Maryland. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know, there's, well, Bar- Maryland, there's the Baltimore Ravens. But um, some of these smaller states that don't have – or maybe even out west, right? Like Montana doesn't really have a – go to states that don't have pro – sports franchises already correct and try to establish them there and i feel like maybe that is but also like have i'm not explaining this well have a balance right between your big cities and places you haven't been before so to be able to create that growth across the country not just in major cities and in major areas obviously that's where the most fans are going to be but the more you spread across the more you're going to gain in the long run. Mm, absolutely agreed. I think that I don't want to go so deep into this. There's so much we could say about putting teams in areas where they aren't already existing. Like, yeah. I think I, that I could be, that have, could be an hour long an conversation on, its, on own. its own where we talk about that, yeah. especially putting more research into the Vermont, Vermont green. Cause Oh my gosh, the fans they have there, the way they interact, it's really I mean, I've never been and I'm not that I far away. Go. Like, it's awesome. Um, something that we don't see in the US a lot. But where I in Vermont see... is it? Is it in Burlington? Yes, it is. It's Burlington. It is Burlington. Okay. I might go see it then because my, my dad's company is based in Burlington. So like, it's it's worth it. They maybe do I'll, really cool maybe I'll go see a game. Yeah, absolutely. That would be cool. <laughs> It'd be sick. I'd love to see that. I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd be a bit jealous, but I'd love to see it. Um, but I think they do a lot of stuff that we don't see in the U.S., but we see in Europe, and it really yeah. is translated well to that Vermont market where we could see it really grow. And I think if we were to pick cities, something – cities, towns, something that's a little bit more niche, doesn't have that same atmosphere created by other sports teams. And it's, it's hard because, like, I'm from Danbury, Connecticut, but Danbury doesn't have a – like. We have the Danbury Hat Tricks, which is hockey. We have the Danbury Trashers, which is again hockey, right? But we, you don't think Danbury, you think, all right, we have this football team or we have this, this basketball, right. Or baseball, right? 
but Western Connecticut's New York, right? Eastern right. Connecticut's Boston. So it's harder to get that traction, but finding these areas like Vermont where it's, okay, I can't easily go to a Boston game. I can't easily go to, to a game up in Maine, right? Right. That's something where we can, they can generate traction would be really inspiring. But I think it's a new. I think that's a whole episode on its own. And oh, a hundred percent, hundred percent. And we've we've already been sport. talking for an hour, and it's ten thirty. So, <laughs> like, I, I don't want to have another hour long conversation. Um, but this is this has been great. I feel like we've had like a lot of really good conversations today, and I, I feel like it's definitely developing into um, something where this is going to be a good thing long term. Absolutely. Um, so, I feel like this is a good place to end the show not to like cut it off abruptly or anything um but i think if you guys aren't following us on spotify by the way what are you doing go follow us <laughs> uh sports business take tell your friends uh not many people listened to us last week we i looked at the you can see like our analytics on our spotify account we only had like 15 listens last last week but but so tell your friends about it. That's what I'm saying. Get it out there. Like God, we can't do everything. Um, but no, seriously, we, for those of you who do listen, we do appreciate uh, you guys and we'll have more stuff in the future. Obviously not just a podcast, but be able to interact on social and YouTube and, and some of these different platforms. So I'm looking forward to that. And hopefully by next week, I mean, I'll work out with you. We can try to get like an intro set up. Because mm. I feel like that's that's part of like a good podcast. You need to have like a catchy intro. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. That's something Absolutely. I want to develop. Just like the whole reason people watch CSI is for that good intro. That good yeah, intro. Yeah, exactly. You hear that bump, bump, bump. Like yeah, you enjoy yeah, yeah. that. You enjoy that more than you do the actual episode, right? Right. Yeah. So we'll we'll cook something up. Uh, until then, thank you guys for listening. Uh, I'm Paul Hine. Go follow my Twitter, Paul Hine one hundred and eight, and. What's yours? I'm Zach Creekmore. Check me out on Instagram at Coach Creeks. Um, looking forward to seeing more of this, doing more of this, and enjoying it. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, me too, man. All right. Have a good night, guys. Good night. See you later.